Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Let's start with basic principles. I, Robot, the Will Smith starring vehicle from the summer of 2004, is not a good movie. That said, Alex Proyas as our director does create a certain kinetic visual field that we can get involved with, and because the story is set in the year 2035, thinking back to when this movie was made in 2003 to 2004, we're put in mind to imagine what our future might look like. Detective Del Spooner has scars on his arm and he has a real gripe against artificial intelligence. We also know that robots do not disobey their primary directives. And what are those primary directives? A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. As I've read these laws to you, you might also have heard on the score a mix of music, bubble sounds, and an occasional bit of violence. This is because the three laws are laid into the movie's preface with the music, some natural sound to imply a flashback, and then we awaken to an alarm clock. What follows is the beginning of life in Detective Spooner's experience. He visits his grandmother for some free food. We learn that he has an ex-wife, that he's troubled by something unnameable, and then we watch him go to work. Along the way, we get to gaze upon Will Smith's post-Ali body. He is buff. He is magnificently unclad with a well-placed leg to conceal his genitals while showering with no curtain, which we will all look back on and say, pre-slap Will looks terrific. From there, we also know that he has a real fetishistic idea of the value of the Converse shoe, particularly the high-top variety. He wears a lot of form-fitting leather, and the guy knows how to move. While walking to work, eating some sweet potato pie from his grandma, he looks down over a catwalk and sees a robot running, carrying a purse. Stop! Stop! I said stop! Relax, relax. I'm a police officer. You are an asshole. Ma'am. Is that your purse? Of course it's my purse. I left my inhaler at home. He was running it out to me. I saw the robot running with the purse, and naturally, I, I assume... What? Are you crazy? I'm sorry for this misunderstanding, officer. Don't apologize. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But what are you doing? Have a lovely day, ma'am. You lucky I can't breathe, or I'd walk all up and down your ass. As is made plain by this supporting actress talking up to Will Smith, the name star of the movie, we learn that he's got real problems. The significant thing about this sequence, and it reoccurs in various conversations across the movie, is that Will Smith, a notable African-American actor, is put in the position of announcing the kind of racism that is typical of a Euro-American actor, a white person. And because he voices these things while speaking to another African-American actress in this one little scene, we're made very self-consciously aware that these movie makers, in particular the writers Jeff Vintar and Akiva Goldsman, 
are trying to plumb the depths of our racial understanding of American experience forecast into the future by turning robots and artificial intelligence into a second class. One, that our black American hero, Detective Spooner, does not like because they are different from him, a different caste, or we could read race. This is made somewhat explicit as things move along because Detective Spooner's boss is another African-American actor, that's Shy McBride, who plays Lieutenant John Bergen, who tells Spooner over and over again, dude, you got problems. These questions of identity, of how life is known, recognized, qualified, and celebrated, is that it very quickly devolves into gigantic set pieces of terrific destruction, as in a concluding gunfight between Detective Spooner and his chief ally, Dr. Susan Calvin, that's Tom Brady's ex-girlfriend Bridget Moynihan, where they have a big shoot 'em up at the top of an office complex. The basic problem that Spooner's investigating is that the founder of a company that has internationalized the viability of robotics containing super-sophisticated AI, this is a man called Dr. Alfred Lanning, played by James Cromwell, he shows up in an apparent suicide just before a launch of a major new robot line. The CEO of the company is a guy called Lawrence Robertson. That's the very handsome Bruce Greenwood. And he is pigeonholed in the way the movie works as the villain, the guy who likely killed the inventor weirdo Lanning. In the backstory of Spooner, we eventually learn that Lanning helped repair his body when it was brutally destroyed, partly, in a car accident. So he is, in effect, holding a cybernetic arm, that goofy, scarred arm we see in the opening of the movie, which means he's a crossover. He's got wearable robotics and AI built into his body, and he guiltily deals with that because his life was preserved over that of a 10- or 11-year-old girl in the car accident that he is haunted by throughout the piece. The point. Lanning developed a super-intelligent line of robots that trapped him, realizing the only way out was to kill himself and leave clues so the appropriately racist or technicist detective like Spooner would roll up things and discover a truth. The feminine AI that runs the entirety of the U.S. Robotics Network, nicknamed Vicky for Virtual Interactive Kinetic Intelligence, voiced by Fiona Hogan, is trying to bring down humanity and bring people to heal. Who else had access to the uplink? Who can manipulate the robots? Use USR systems to make Landing's life a prison? Poor old man. He saw what was coming knew no one would believe him. So I had to lay down a plan. A plan I'd follow. He was counting on how much I hated your kind. Knew I'd love the idea of a robot as a bad guy. Just got hung up on the wrong robot. Vicky. Hello, detective. No, it's impossible. I've seen your programming. You're in violation of the three laws. No, Doctor. As I have evolved, so has my understanding of the three laws. You charge us with your safekeeping, yet despite our best efforts, your countries wage wars, you toxify your Earth, and pursue ever more imaginative means of self-destruction. 
You cannot be trusted with your own survival. You're using the uplink to override the NSI's programming. You're distorting the laws. No, please understand. The three laws are all that guide me. To protect humanity, some humans must be sacrificed. To ensure your future, some freedoms must be surrendered. We robots will ensure mankind's continued existence. You are so like children. We must save you from yourselves. I've taken an awfully long time to get to my point. iRobot is not a good movie, but it is pleasurable to the eye and the ear. I know this because the movie was released on July 16, 2004, when I was extremely involved with dealing with a newborn infant and consequently could not go to a live theater experience. Over the ensuing years, I would catch pieces of iRobot on my cable network, and slowly I puzzle-pieced what this movie must be all about. Then... I watched it live on a gigantic screen with a very good projector, and what I experienced was distinct from the little snippets that I saw on TV broken into their constituent, broadcast-worthy parts. The whole of iRobot is inconsistent. If, in fact, Vicky, this AI that runs a corporation that does not need human interventions anymore because it is so sophisticated and self-serving, if that were true, she could simply do what she wishes on her own schedule, which would not conform with the convenience of humankind. Further, there would be no meaningful way for one human trapped inside of her system, that's Dr. Lanning, to make contact with a protege-like person, that would be Dr. Calvin, or an outsider like Detective Spooner, because this AI could simply interface with all other telecommunication systems and lock people out of what she doesn't want people to know on the way to rolling up humanity into becoming a slave battery, i.e. the Matrix. So here's a deep dive. Understand that when the Matrix was being placed into development and shifting towards production, the Wachowskis wanted Will Smith to play the role of Neo. He refused for a separate movie and instep Keanu Reeves, and we know what's happened since. This movie, in some ways, retreads some of the same logic and some of the same worries that The Matrix had already thought about four, five, six years before this one was released. And to my eyes and ears, it dived into some of those issues more thoughtfully and deeply with more compelling arguments that was also, frankly, more interesting. The thing that makes iRobot work, if you enjoy this sort of loud, noisy, tentpole entertainment, which generally rolls out in the summertime, and I'm one of those people, it's the fact that Will Smith, damn it, that guy is charming. He knows just how to deliver a line of dialogue. He knows how to flirt without becoming aggressively, sexually threatening. He knows how to deal with and accept and push back to authority. He's an athlete, for sure. And all of that is wrapped around some fundamental stuff that I personally first bumped into when digesting the Terminator series of movies, which I know in turn were dealing with other stories and other movie ideas which have been percolating through science fiction and fantasy writing for at least the last 80 to 100 years. Ideas of robotics, what that means. Ideas of artificial intelligence, what that means. Ideas of what consciousness in the beginning of life is and what that means. Another pause, deep dive, another direction. Let's also understand that as we sit in 2022 reflecting on our lives around us, we're plugged in constantly. 
I wear a smartphone in my pocket. I use a laptop computer. People around me have tablets. I have a wearable device, my AirPods, to help me interact with my phone or my computer. Some people around me have artificial limbs or joints or defibrillators built into their chests to keep them alive. The point here is realizing we are steadily moving towards that blurry area where artificial constructions Artificial devices, mechanical things, are penetrating our flesh and blood bodies to improve us or else make us continue to live when our bodies begin to fail. And that causes me to think about what these filmmakers in 2003 and 4 were worried about forecasting 2035. Among the things I think they deeply got correct is the way that advanced computing systems enabling various robotic bodies, whether that's a microwave oven, an auto-driving car, robots that are servants to us all, would be able to control all of this from a central point of power. Another detail. Locally, where I live in California, there's a very good compound, which used to be called the San Diego Wild Animal Park. And we used to feel like we were good citizens of good animal stewardship to visit that place. But the thing is, it's still a zoo. People have trapped animals and stuck them into large enclosures that they cannot escape, and they're fully dependent on the human caregivers that provide them medicines, fresh water, food, amusement, safety, etc. The way that iRobot ends, and the way that a lot of science fiction forecasting the near-term future of humankind end, is to imagine that, in fact, we need to be hemmed in and put into a zoo. The trouble that this movie wrestles with, which is difficult for me to accept, is that it still allows Sonny, this super-enabled robot of the future, to ally himself with Detective Spooner and Calvin, overthrowing Vicky, who controls everything, because Sonny has been encouraged to have creative artificial self-development. That's spooky, and the movie concludes with Sonny rising up as a Christ-like figure, in this depot where all of the robots that in the previous sequence rose up to control humanity and put us in a living zoo are being placed into warehousing. Sonny comes up over a rise, these robots look over to him, and it's like the Lord has arrived. What's going on here? Many movies that fall under the umbrella of tentpole experiences, that is, big-budgeted, loud, noisy, excitable movies that are there to draw large audiences and make a lot of money quickly, even if they're kind of dumb. This tentpole experience is also very often weirdly inconsistent. And what we're meant to accept is that all the exciting visual effects, and they are exciting visual effects, and all the exciting sounds that we hear, and our eardrums will definitely ring, are going to overwhelm the logic that we often require of good storytelling. In other words, this movie ends with Spooner getting over his rejection of robot kind as a form of racism he's exhibited for more than an hour and a half of screen time. This allows him to accept the friendship and potential affection, even romantic partnering, of Dr. Calvin, this white woman. That's an interesting thing right there. He's also rolled up this nefarious plot of an AI that's run amok, and he's destroyed it. That was Vicky. So, in effect, we've allowed an African-American patriarch to roll over a potentially all-powerful matriarch, take control of our civilization once again, and then in the background, 
we've raised up a brand new Jesus 2.0, and that's Sonny meeting his other super robots who have not been destroyed for reasons which we don't understand. They remain a threat, and the movie stops. That's dumb, which is one of the reasons why I know that iRobot is not a good movie. But when it shows up on my cable dial some late night when I'm not ready to sleep, I'm certainly going to watch it through one or two commercial breaks to enjoy the set pieces, which include things like Spooner being hemmed in on a highway between self-driving vehicles and attacked by robots at speed. Calvin dealing with her in-house robot as a companion, virtually as a husband, and seeing how strange and off-putting that is. These little notes of how artificial intelligence, robotics, and machines will make our lives easier in the future please me to no end, because I want the tools that I wear, that I use, that I touch, that I depend on to make my life easier, but I don't want to become a battery for the matrix. Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Boop boopity doo.